Welcome to Divorce is Not a Destination. I'm Dr. Lisa Summerauer, a breakup and divorce strategist. If you've experienced a breakup or a divorce, you already know how stressful it can be. But here's the thing, divorce isn't the end of your story. It's a new beginning starting from where you are right now. So join me for a unique blend of humor and straight talk as we navigate the ups and downs, drama and trauma, and emotional roller coaster ride experienced when a relationship ends. You won't be alone. I'll introduce you to guests who share their experiences and success stories. Come here for actionable tips, tools, and strategies that empower you to move forward. Whether you need healing, guidance, or a fresh perspective, I'm here to remind you it's your life, your journey. Here on Divorce is Not a Destination. Hey, good to see you. Oh, we've got a few folks. Silva, Caleb, Caleb, Damali, and my mom, Jacqueline, is in here. So welcome, everybody. I am excited to get this four-part series started. It's, it's exciting and a little nerve-wracking because it is such a hot topic right now. Um, I've been getting information on narcissism for a really long time but I'm starting to see it popping up everywhere. And so it was important for me to do this first episode to kind of get a foundational understanding for everybody on what it is when we're talking about narcissism, what it really what it really means, and to make sure that when we're using the term, we understand that we can't really diagnose somebody with narcissism. So welcome to Divorce is Not a Destination. I'm Dr. Lisa Summerhour, and I'm here every Thursday with some really phenomenal folks that join the show because I want to help folks who have gone through breakups and divorce be able to move through them and have lives where they are thriving. I want to get rid of the guilt and the shame and the drama and the trauma. So I coach individuals uh, through those processes. And I have this podcast because it gives me an opportunity to just have conversations with people and put other information out here. And my audience is always phenomenal because... Sometimes I feel like we learn more from the folks who are in our audience than the information that I've been been wanting to share all week. So this is a full participation. There are little icons, and I think everybody has it in their lower right screen. And you'll see a microphone, a little short microphone. If you want to join the conversation a little bit later, I will invite folks on to join. Um, in the beginning, I like to try to get through some information because otherwise we can go off course. One of these days, I'm going to get uh, a, an administrative person to manage all my back office. I used to do that for my podcast coach, who's also on this platform. Um, but for now, we we have been managing pretty well. But just so you know, the icons, you can play with the little things over in the far right. There are little faces that you'll see pop up. And if you want to participate live, it'll let you applaud or do high fives or hands up and all of those things. But if you want to get in the conversation, hit that big microphone over there and I'll see that pop up and I'll be able to get to you so you can join in on the conversation. So tonight's show is actually about understanding the difference between narcissistic personality traits and narcissistic personality disorder. So it's the difference between the traits and the actual clinically diagnosed disorder. Because a lot of times, uh, and I'm going to put myself in this as well, after a glass of wine talking to a girlfriend or my sister, um, to say, oh, that person's narcissistic. And we say this thinking that we're really saying this person has been diagnosed with something. And we really want to understand that there's a difference between those traits that we all have and somebody who actually gets diagnosed. So when we're looking at 
um, per first of all, I want to start off with personality traits and personality disorders. So um, the difference between a personality trait and a personality disorder, a personality trait is a habit. It's something that's habitual. It's a pattern of thinking. It's a pattern of thinking, feeling, or behaving. So you will consistently have certain personality traits that are just part of how you show up and how you live your life. They don't necessarily have a, a negative impact. Um, in most instances, they could. They could be annoying traits. Um, an example of a personality trait would be being an introvert. Actually, I'll give you I'll give you a list of them. Uh, conscientiousness is considered a personality trait. Being open to new experiences, being optimistic, uh, somebody who is agreeable, uh, they're creative, uh, they're empathetic. An extrovert, if you have an introvert, you're an extrovert. Um, an hon honesty is a personality trait because we probably know a few folks that we hopefully don't associate with too more, too much anymore, who have a personality trait of being dishonest. They're just like habitual liars. So those are personality traits. Um, and like, for example, if you're an introvert, you might be introverted around your family. I mean, around friends, but not around your family or really close friends. They may see a slightly different side of you. So the other characteristic about a personality trait is it's not necessarily fixed. You can change that over a period of time, or it may change a little bit based on situational. You, Like I said, you could be more introverted um, around strangers than you are around friends and family. So that's a personality trait. A personality disorder is somebody who actually sees the world in a way that doesn't quite fit most norms. It's sort of a deviant way of looking at things. They have certain behaviors and feelings and, and thought processes that are just outside of the norm. So this person could be really cold and ruthless at work, but they could be kind to children and friends. And maybe they only become, you know, ruthless uh, when they're pushed to it. But one of those, a personality disorder would be, um, you could be antisocial, uh, avoidant is considered one, borderline. I think there are 10, uh, being dependent. So this is somebody who is like a people pleaser. pleaser. They are emotionally over-dependent on other people. Um, and they usually have an intense, this is the dependent personality disorder. They have a fear of being abandoned. Histrionic, histrionic. This one I actually had to look up. I was familiar with the word, but I had never really looked up the word histrionic. And, I, and I'm going to share this one with you. This is another personality disorder. I'm not into narcissism yet. I want to give you some personality disorders. Obsessive compulsive is one, being paranoid is one, and obviously narcissism is another one. Histrionic is somebody who has an intense, uh, unstable emotions. They um, are just, they have a distorted self-image. Their self-esteem depends a lot on the approval of other people. And they have this overwhelming desire to be noticed. They'll be the ones that are most dramatic and really theatrical, but sometimes in a very inappropriate way. So these are all, that's, those are the differences or the types of personality traits versus a personality disorder. And so when we're talking about narcissism, there, there could be the narcissistic traits that a person will have, and then it could tip over into those disorders. So 
And, and if you are thinking of anything right now, and this is already ringing some bells for you, if you have any questions that hopefully me or somebody else might be able to answer, please go ahead and, and raise your hand. So when we start looking at narcissism, it was important for me to make sure we categorize that because there are so many, there are other disorders and so many different traits that a person could have. And the reality is we all have some narcissistic traits. They may manifest themselves differently, but we all have narcissistic traits and personality disorders are not something that are, they're not a, a sickness. You can't put this under a microscope. It's something that a mental health professional would need to actually work through with someone, work through, work with someone to identify if they actually have a disorder, but we all have narcissistic traits. So narcissism exists on, on a spectrum, or I, I like to look at it as a continuum. And you can take into accountability um, how you establish re relationships. What are your reciprocal relationships like? Um, because you may have some narcissistic traits, but it's not a disorder. And it's really connected to what our relationships look like. I thought this was so interesting because I'm going to talk a little bit later about some of the things that doctors um, will say might cause narcissistic disorder in a person. And it's going to sound a little bit like when we talked about attachment theory a couple months ago, um, some of the behaviors that we looked at that caused someone to be avoidant um, or uh, detached go all the way back to childhood. Narcissism, narcissistic disorder is very, very similar to that. So narcissism refers to this continuum where you believe that you have this superiority, that you your needs are prioritized over everybody else's, and sometimes it's at the expense of other people. So there's a tendency that it could be mild. It could be, like I said, it could be situational. And there is usually evidence that there's something that's consistent about it. So these narcissistic traits could span a couple of areas of your life. So you may see consistency even with the narcissism that's not considered a disorder. So at the end of one spectrum, just looking at, we're, we're still talking about traits, and I want to really keep a distinction between traits and disorder. So within narcissistic traits, you can go from healthy narcissism, which is what all of us probably aspire to. We want to have a healthy sense of ourself. So that means we have a positive self-image. Our self-esteem is at a healthy level. It doesn't need to be bolstered up at somebody else's expense. Um, we're confident, not necessarily cocky, but just think about it along that continuum that it could be healthy. And for some people, there may be a little cockiness. There may be a little less humility. All of these things happen on this continuum that can go all the way up to what's called pathological narcissism. I had never heard that term before. Had anybody else heard, ever heard of pathological narcissism? That was a new one for me. That's the far end of the spectrum on narcissistic traits. And at that end of the spectrum, the narcissistic traits are starting to have or having a negative impact on how you view the world and how you interact with other people in the world. And that's where you go from healthy self-esteem, healthy narcissism to pathological narcissism, where now you're seeing friction in relationships. You're getting a lot of distress. 
And so for many of us, when we're when we're experiencing someone or in a relationship with someone that we're saying, I think they're narcissistic, we're probably seeing that they're not in this healthy end, what we consider to be a healthy end of that narcissism spectrum. They've started moving up closer to that pathological um, narcissism. And so that within that, and I won't go too far into this because I think it's going to make sense to a lot of folks. The pathological narcissism, they divide into two different themes. One is considered grandiose or grandiosity. So this is that person that um, everything, they have this exaggerated sense of being unique. You know, they have this uh, grandiose sense, this exaggerated sense about uh, their immodesty. They just, they're full of themselves, basically. They also want a lot of praise, high praise from other people. So that's one side. The other side is vulnerability. So you got two themes here, grandiosity and vulnerability. On the vulnerable side with this narcissistic, this pathological narcissism is somebody who has a lot of shame, deep shame about what they need, about their own expectations. And there's this intense threat to their self-esteem. So you can see even within narcissism, what I found interesting about this, hey, Wanda, what I found interesting about this pathological narcissism was we often think of narcissists as being these really self-absorbed, grandiose, exaggerated people who want all this attention. And we now need to understand that narcissism itself has this spectrum. Even within that pathological narcissism, it could be somebody that's living with a lot of shame, um, a lot of insecurity, self-esteem issues and expectations. And I, I actually had a therapist that I had been going to with someone tell me, um, because of so much insecurity, the person had so much insecurity, they said insecurity can actually breed narcissism. And so when I was reading about this pathological narcissism, the vulnerability side of that, it, it reminded me of this therapist saying, ah, insecurity can breed narcissism because they're looking for somebody to bolster them up. And I, and in, I think the third, the third part of this series, I think I actually talk about who do narcissists look for? Who are they attracted to? Because that's another one of those areas. We think they're looking for weak people and you'll, you'll find out that that's not necessarily the case. So this narcissistic vulnerability involves experiencing that shame expectations, um, threats on their self-esteem. And when this becomes really persistent in a person's life, it can lead you to receive that narcissistic personality disorder diagnosis. So this is how we tip over from the narcissistic traits, which can go from healthy all the way up to pathological narcissism and still be within narcissistic traits. And this is how it tips over into a disorder. It's a, it's a culmination and a combination of a bunch of different traits. So it's the, the spectrum of self-interest, healthy narcissism. It appears on one side. In the middle, you'll have some narcissistic traits that range in severity, but um, a narcissistic action every now and then isn't the same as having a personality disorder. So even if you know someone where you're just like, ah, this person, there's something about them. They have, they have that, they have a narcissistic personality trait that just grates your last nerve. Even that doesn't mean that they have the disorder. That doesn't mean they have a disorder. That's not necessarily a clinical 
And that that's when we get into a disorder, when it's a clinical, clinically defined narcissistic trait. So when we get there, it's characterized. You're going to hear some familiar things, but it's how they're showing up and how often they're showing up and what happens when they show up. And that's what tips the scale over into it being a disorder. Again, you have this authoritarianism, envy. Now we're in the disorder. That grandiosity is still there. You could see shallowness. Um, a deficit of empathy and remorse. This one, I think, is, this this one is kind of huge to me anyway, because I think it's one of the things that we we catch because for most of us, we operate with a certain modicum of empathy and we have a, 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 an ability to, to demonstrate remorse. When you don't see that in someone, I just think that it stands out. When you just see someone who doesn't seem to have empathy, and it tends to serve the individual with little or no respect. They, they have little or no respect for the greater good. So they, they're not empathetic, they're not remorseful, and they don't really even get it. Like they don't see the big picture. So this person could be at a job interview and they are going to put down their previous employer. They're going to lie about their accomplishments and their credentials. They're going to take credit for projects that they didn't do, that they might not even have been involved in. They're going to make promises to you that they cannot keep. Now, if we see that in someone and we start seeing this stuff getting strung together, and we probably can all think of at least one person that's had that, but this is this is that uh, tipping the scale over into, could be tipping the scale, let me say it that way, over into somebody that's got a narcissistic personality disorder. And the reason is because it's happening on so many different levels in so many different areas, and they're doing it sort of without even looking at how it's impacting anything. It's like they don't see it or they don't care or they don't care to see it. So when you get to that, this narcissist is self-absorbed. They have a, a self-centered way of thinking and behaving. Um, and it's hitting everything in their life. You're going to see um, somebody with a narcissistic personality disorder. They don't just struggle in one area. If you look really closely, you will see disconnects in relationships everywhere. Friendships, family remember, uh, members, love relationships. Um, They're experiencing social and occupational impairments. Um, distress in, in, in certain areas in a lot of different ways. And their behavior is not just messing up their work lives and their personal lives, but it's just creating like this destructive cycle around them. And it's making even them uncomfortable, but they don't necessarily know what to do with it because in their mind, there's really nothing wrong with them. <laughs> yeah. And this becomes the problem with somebody with an actual disorder because they don't think they have the problem. They feel like things are working for them, and it really is the rest of us. So you know you hear that, that phrase, it's not you, it's me. That's not what narcissists think. Narcissists are thinking, no, it's not me, it's you. Because there's, and for them, there's really nothing wrong with them. So by definition, a personality disorder is something that develops over time. So childhood experiences, they say could be genetics, um, and environment. And they're the, the, the jury is still out with, with a therapist or psychiatrist, psychiatrist and psychologist on whether or not there's any genetic connection, but definitely um, nature, uh, a nurture. 
their experiences and their environment that they grew up in, that adult narcissist traits on their own are not likely to develop in a personality disorder. They usually begin earlier and they can diagnose usually later in life after they're after 18 or so, because <laughs> this was kind of funny, because for teenagers, you can't, it's hard to diagnose them because teenagers are typically self-absorbed anyway. So if you use that as a criteria, it would probably be a whole lot of teenagers that would get diagnosed as, <laughs> as having narcissistic personality disorder because it's just part of being a teenager. So one of the things that scientists do believe is that this the full onset of having um, narcissistic personality disorder can occur when interpersonal development is kind of compromised. So there are a couple of things, and I want to go through this list. I want to make sure that I give you this list because this goes back to how we got raised. My mom is on here, so... Mom, I think I'm okay. I think I don't think I hit enough on the list to be concerned. So being born with an oversensitive temperament, uh, learning to be manipulative, learning to have manipulative behavior, you learn from your parents or your peers, um, being excessively praised for good behaviors and then excessively criticized for bad behavior. So you have these parental extremes. And this is interesting because I've been watching so many videos and reading so many articles on this. And the last video that I watched just happened to be Dr. Phil, who I didn't know had done this whole series on narcissism on his YouTube show. And one of the things he says is where does, you know, where does it come from? And he said, pretty much extreme parenting. And so what I just said, that parent that does this excessive praise whenever a kid does something good, but then the criticism when something isn't good is just as excessive. So this kid's got these polar polarizing experiences, which just thinking about that could make you crazy. Um, another thing on the list, suffering from severe, severe childhood abuse or neglect, uh, which we heard with some of the attachment theory, inconsistent or unpredictable parenting or caregiving, growing up with unrealistic expectations from your parents, being excessively pampered or overindulged um, by your parents, even peers or family members as a whole. So this went back to Dr. Phil's extremes. Everything is just extreme. The kid doesn't have any, you know, middle solid ground in the middle here where they can rest. It's here or there. So they're just bouncing around emotionally. Receiving excessive praise from parents or others that are focused on your looks or your abilities. So it's a little different because this is specific to your looks or your abilities. And if you, I hate to say think about people, but we, we, you know, we're all old enough that we probably know some folks where we're like, they are obsessed about how they look <laughs> or their abilities. They're, they're overly obsessed with their physical appearance. It, it is, it's just, it's mind boggling. It's just not what we would consider to be normal. So the narcissistic personality disorder, um, that one side is craving those occasional compliments, but on the dark side, it, it becomes, again, it becomes this pathological pattern. So some of the issues that, we, that, that they were talking about, that some of the scientists talk about, revolve around self-esteem. And so the self-esteem can be off the charts. It can either be so high that it's just, uh, it's an unrealistic level of self-esteem or it can be so low that it is super, super fragile and they crave this external validation 
or even self-deception. They're constantly souping themselves up and they are constantly looking for somebody else to help them do that. So they believe in the fantasies that they've created for themselves. So these are people that are very often talking a lot of pie in the sky stuff and it's convincing. Um, they're always going to be smarter than everybody else. They're going to be more attractive than everybody else and definitely more successful than anybody else they know. So that's one side. It's uh, I think Dr. Phil referred to it as leveling. And what that means is you're either spending as a somebody with narcissistic disorder is spending a lot of time building themselves up. And if they can't build themselves up, the next best thing is to tear somebody else down. And that's how they're going to level. If you, they feel like you're here and they're here, they're going to tear you down. If you're here even with them, then they might build you up. But however they do it, they need to end up up here. That's just, that's just part of it. Um, so they can very easily be that person who just quick starts putting other people down. Um, typically, they might be the one to hijack a conversation. Um, it's going to make them feel better if you get to hear them talking and they explain everything and their ideas are the best ideas and their thought process is superior to yours. So you're going to hear that person do a lot of talking. Um, feeling less than perfect is really uncomfortable for them. So a narcissist is going to have a difficult time. Somebody with a disorder is going to have a difficult time sitting back in a space, not getting the attention that they think they deserve, seeing somebody else in the limelight and feeling like they may be getting looked at like they're not perfect. So if you point out their flaws, if you identify anything that they may not have done right or anything that they could use improvement on, um, yeah, you could be just bringing damnation and hellfire on yourself. Um, people with a personality disorder have, um, basically they end up with a lot of struggles. And I, I'm thinking of people that I actually know and just not even jokingly, like I sincerely have thought or even been told by somebody with, with the ability to diagnose it. This person might have, have a, they, they may be dealing with, a narcissistic disorder that has not been diagnosed because they're not generally happy people. They struggle with intimate relationships. They struggle with interpersonal relationships, even within their family. They don't typically have a close circle of friends and the coworker relationship could go either way because I think it's more, as long as they look like they're doing everything and they can take credit for everything, they don't want to be outshined and they're going to have people close to them as long as they're helping them, as long as they're making them look good. Um, and this is this is true with narcissists, just someone with a lot of narcissist traits who are up near that pathological end of the spectrum. But it's more true with somebody with a narcissistic personality disorder. So the the one of the other things I looked at was how how widespread is this? You know, how do they you know, they have to be diagnosed by somebody who's trained to diagnose them. But how do how many are there? <laughs> who, who is this? Who, who is more susceptible to this? So it's like a half a percent up to five percent of the general U.S. population says uh, and more men than women. But that's kind of the number that they that I that I came that I saw that I looked up. And they think that this number is low because narcissists are not going to go and get 
diagnosed because they don't feel like they have a problem. So in order to get diagnosed, somebody has to admit that they have issues. And most narcissists, it's not them, it's you, us. We're the, <laughs> we're the ones with the problem, it's not them. So they're not gonna go and get help. And even when they do go for help, how, whatever way they get in there, very often they're the ones that aren't gonna finish treatment. They're not gonna finish treatment because to sit in front of a therapist and have to be told that there's something about you that needs to be adjusted or that could be improved upon speaks to everything that I've been talking about. And it's exactly what narcissists don't want to hear and what they don't want to do. So they are more likely if they do get into therapy, chances are they're not going to ride it out. They're going to be the ones to leave. They're going to have 8,000 reasons why it didn't work. Therapist doesn't know what they're doing. Um, these people don't understand me. Everything that you could imagine as an excuse is what they're going to come up because it is everyone else. It's not them. Um, there is some research that says it manifests different and differently in men than it does in women. But at the end of the day, the traits are not exclusive to either sex. When it comes to vanity, self-absorption, um, both sexes rate equally there. Yeah, I don't know... <laughs> Mom, what's that sad face for? Is that just in general? Um, I'll, you, you have to click your button if you want to tell us what this face is about. But I will give you a little bit of the, the stuff. It says, according to research, if you compare males, male narcissists, men to women or male to female personalities, um, the male are more likely to have deep insecurity, martyrdom and jealousy and competitiveness. I'm sorry, the women are more likely to have um, deep insecurity, martyrdom and jealousy, and then competitiveness with other women. Um, they, they, they say we would see other women as a threat if a woman has, uh, has been diagnosed with or has uh, the narcissistic disorder. Men, on the other hand, are more likely than women to exploit others, to feel entitled, um, and to feel that they're entitled to certain privileges. Um, they're also more likely to exhibit qualities of, uh, of well, we probably not going to be surprised, assertive, assertiveness and power hunger. And so there are some differences, but at the end of the day, the self-absorption uh, for both of them, male and female, not that much difference, not enough for it to, to be a concern. I'll, I'll put it this way. Whether you have a male friend or a female friend, if they have narcissistic personality disorder, you're struggling, you're probably struggling with that relationship. If you are in a romantic relationship with them, a partner relationship with them, excuse me, it's very difficult. If you're trying to maintain a friendship with them, um, it could be difficult because if you've known them long enough and spent enough time around them, you have probably seen the signs. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you're going to be able to go, oh my gosh, th maybe this is what it is. Not necessarily the disorder, because I am a doctor of education, not medicine. So anybody listening, I can't clinically diagnose anybody and wouldn't be able to do it here on this show. Um, what I did read about the diagnosis is they need to see, there are nine traits that they associate with nar narcissistic personality disorder, nine of them. And I believe they need to see five of those over a period of so many months of working with this person so that they can see that it goes across different areas of their life. And when they see that and whatever else they have to factor in, that's part of how a clinician would diagnose somebody. And that's why when we use that term narcissistic, be really clear that you're talking about personality traits. 
this person has narcissistic personality traits. And very often people will just say, oh, they're narcissistic. And folks think, you know, there's some kind of clin clinical diagnosis that, that we know about that was secret. Now, again, if I have two drinks with my sister or my girlfriend or somebody, I'm probably going to just say what, what I just said, don't say, but y'all know what I mean. <laughs> so look, I want to give you the nine traits or, or characteristics, or some will refer to them as symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder. So this is the thing. The traits are the traits. You can have all of these different traits that are associated with narcissistic, uh, a narcissistic personality. The diagnosis for it to be, uh, uh, be diagnosed as a disorder means that you have a certain number of these traits that are crossing over different areas of your life for a certain amount of time for somebody who's able to diagnose you as this being a disorder. Typically, the, the one thing that you can count on between a trait and a disorder, the disorder is causing disruption. The trait might be annoying. Maybe that's how I look at it. the trait. The traits could be really annoying to people around this person. They may not pick up on it. They may, if they're traits, you may be able to tell somebody, you know, you're being obnoxious or, you know, you're, you, that sounded really arrogant. But the traits are annoying. The disorder is actually causing disturbances in a person's life. The people around them are, are disturbed by it. It is, it is a problem. There are, there are relationship issues that are happening on repeat over the course of this person's life because of these, these traits being so consistent and so ingrained. And that is also what makes uh, working with somebody for, for therapists, working with somebody who's been diagnosed it's really, really hard to get through them. I'll tell you what Dr. Phil said about that <laughs> uh, later on. So the nine traits, having an inflated sense of self-importance and entitlement. So deep down, this person feels like they are the best, most successful, most competent, just put whatever it is here, uh, uh, athlete, musician, uh, nurse, landscaper, Whatever the situation is, they are the best, they're the most successful, and they're the most confident. Hands down, bar none, move on. Second one, they need constant admiration. Constant admiration. You can't praise this person too much. There's no such thing. You will run out of oxygen out of your lungs. Like you, you would, and if you're waiting for it to be reciprocated, it might not happen. But their self-esteem, it's like a balloon with no knot in it. You can just keep... <laughs> putting a steady stream of, 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 of uh, praise air into that balloon, no way to give them too much attention, approval, or recognition. Like I said, your lungs will collapse. So no matter how much someone tells you that they love you for this person, no matter how much they hear I love you or they look up, they feel like it's never enough. It's never enough. Number three, they expect special treatment. They expect special treatment, even if they don't ask for it, they expect it. So this is that part of that unrealistic expectation. So whether it's favors or just apologies, whatever it is, whatever they think they deserve, because they're superior to the rest of us, they're, they're superior to everyone around them. So they know that everybody around them should just comply with what it is that they need. And they have an expectation for the special treatment. Um, they're going to exaggerate achievements and, and talents. And now remember, there are nine of these. This doesn't mean somebody has to have all nine. They may, like I said, there's a number, five of them or six of them. 
but these are the nine that folks will look for. So as you're as you're hearing these, if you're checking them off and you're thinking of anybody in particular, we're already up to four, and so far they've nailed all four of them. Um, that means that they're probably pretty high up that, um, what did we talk about earlier, the narcissistic, that uh, spectrum, just the trait spectrum, even if they don't make it into the disorder, they're doing pretty darn good on the other one. So they don't have a problem embellishing facts, not at all, um, or just outright lying, which I think is fun, funny, em embellishing facts versus outright lying. I guess there's a difference. My mom used to say, if you tell a half truth, it's still a lie to some degree, because you, you didn't tell the whole truth and you knew that. So e they're outright lying, whether it's about their life, their resume, or experiences that have happened. Let me tell you, if you have ever had someone look you straight in your face and tell you something, tell you, I didn't say that, when you have everything but a tape recording of them saying that, this is when, the, you know, when they talk about gaslighting, Another uh, that that's a, that's not one of these traits, I don't believe, but I, I do believe it's a characteristic that you're going to find if you're dealing with a narcissist. So exaggerating achievement, reacting negatively to criticism, reacting negatively to criticism. So even though they crave control, they want to take full credit for everything when things are going well. But man, when things are not going right, they are not owning shiggity. They are going to blame somebody else whenever the situation does not go as planned. It is never them. The chances that you're going to hear, I'm sorry, or it was my fault from somebody who has a narcissistic personality disorder, probably thin to none. Really, really hard to accept criticism or to admit that they made a mistake. It's always going to be somebody else's fault. So you can pick anybody else in the room and that will be the person that we can blame because the narcissist is going to be like, well, it wasn't me. I don't, I have no idea how this happened. They're preoccupied with fantasies and power, success and beauty. Just pick one, just pick one. So who do you know? I feel like doing the, who do you know? Who do you know <laughs> who is always in the mirror talking about how fabulous things are going to be and we're going to make a million dollars next month or if I this works out, life's going to change for everybody. They tend to create and believe um, exaggerated tales, unrealistic narrative, narratives around their success, relationships, even how good you look. Um, I'm saying you, they. How good they look um, and things that help them to feel really special. These are the things that they're going to hold on to. So anything that threatens that fantasy you cannot rationalize any of this stuff away. You're not going to be allowed to ignore it. Um, and they want people to be envious of them. Uh, they want to feel beautiful. They want to feel envied and adored. They feel like people want whatever they have. People basically want to be them. Another one, they take advantage of others. So I talked about this earlier with the work thing. They're going to take credit for things. They may be able to demonstrate um, concern or care or even demonstrate empathy, but very often it's part of the manipulation because their goal is to take advantage so that they benefit. So they don't think twice about using somebody or exploiting somebody or giving, um, getting other people to help them get to uh, achieve a goal that they have for themselves. It could be malicious. Or they could be oblivious. It could just be so tuned into it that they're not even paying attention, but they really just don't care because everything is happening on a superficial level. If they um, 
they want to be elevated. They want to they want to be perceived as having social status, that they look really good, and they don't really care about what behavior they have to exhibit in order to get it. As long as while they're exhibiting it, they still feel like they're making themselves look good. So having an ability or unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others. So this is where it comes into the empathy. And there's a lot of research that says narcissistic people, people with the disorder, don't have the ability to be empathetic. And then I read uh, another researcher and she said, nah, I don't think that's true. And a lot of other researchers don't believe that's true. Scientists do believe they can be empathetic when they want to be empathetic. It's a choice. And one of the examples they gave uh, was familiar to me. They said, because you'll see some people who are very narcissistic and they have no empathy for other people unless they can get something from them or by manipulating, having fake empathy or demonstrating empathy, they can get something. They said, but those same folks are animal lovers. I mean, not just animal lovers. They don't want to see a, a hurt puppy, a sick cat. They're not going to kill a fly. They, they love insects. They have so much empathy for animals and bugs and all sorts of things, but not for the people in their life, not for the people closest to them. And when I read that, it was like, seeing that been there. So they can be super sensitive to how people are treating them and want to experience empathy toward them. They want people to feel for them. But if you have to flip that over, they really have a difficult time putting themselves in another person's shoes unless there's a reason. And, and I would say that if you're around somebody where you're looking at them going, is that real? I, I just feel like when I've seen it in some people, I can tell that it just doesn't seem genuine. It's almost like they're, they're mimicking what they think empathy is supposed to look like. Um, and they can't maintain the lie too long. Uh, they can't maintain, maintain that deception consistently. So they could be belittling other people and maybe even bullying other people because it's going to help them feel better, but they're never really going to go that deep into the relationship. And it doesn't bother them that they're, they're not going to do that, but let them see a lost dog or a hurt cat or some kind of animal that's in, and you will see this part of them come out and you'll wonder where was that for the people in your life? And then the last one is behaving there's this arrogance about them. And because it could be, there are different types of narcissism, and I'm going to cover those next week, I think five different types of narcissism. So we'll talk about uh, covert and, and overt, but behaving in an arrogant manner. So they have an inflated ego and it could show up differently because all of them aren't these gregarious extrovert, you know, kind of outgoing people that are all over the top. That's not how all, all narcissists show up. So the arrogant manner could even look slightly different. But they still have that inflated ego, that sense of superiority, entitlement. Um, they want the best of everything for the most part. They're going to insist on having the best of everything. They want the best car, the best office, um, those designer clothes. They want to take over conversations. They want to look down on other people um, so that others are inferior. And they're going to only associate with people they think are equal to them or people that they think are more successful only because it makes them look better. You know, it's going to hurt their ego a little bit, but it's going to make them look better. They don't want to hang around scrubs. They're, they don't want to do that. They're going to look down on them. But if they find people 
that look like they have a little more, are doing a little better, they're going to gravitate toward them because that's still going to put some shine on them. So just remember, out of these nine, you, if you know somebody like this, or heaven forbid, if you're listening to this and you feel like, holy mackerel, I'm seven out of nine, eh, then hello, and there might be you know, a need for you to call a therapist. I'm just going to read through the nine so that you can hear them. Have an inflated sense of, of self-importance and entitlement, entitlement, needing constant admiration, expecting special treatment, exaggerating achievements and talents, reacting negatively to criticism, being preoccupied with fantasies about power, success, or beauty, taking advantage of others, having an inability or unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others, and behaving in an arrogant manner. So... Those were the nine uh, symptoms or traits that doctors would look for. But I have another list that I really like because it kind of breaks all those down a little bit, but it gives you some ideas on like, oh, this is more of an example. So some of them are going to sound the same, that inflated sense of self-importance. They're entitled to other people's time and attention. I thought this was interesting because, see, this speaks to energy drains. This speaks to those people in your life who it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you had planned. If they call you and need you, you're supposed to drop what you're doing because they are entitled to whatever time and attention they need. And the next one, they require a lot of attention and admiration. We talked about superiority. They only want to associate with people who they, they believe are equal or superior. And I'm going to superior air quotes for those of you on streaming because they don't really believe anybody is superior to them. But if there's a perception, they want to get as close to those people as possible because that's, you know, they, they got to stay in that, in that circle. They're going to monopolize, monopolize conversations. They expect people to do whatever they ask. They do not expect to hear no. Matter of fact, um, on one of the things that I was researching, they said the worst word you can say to a narcissist is the word no. They don't want to hear no. Um, difficult empathizing, we talked about that. Difficulty recognizing other people's needs, which is kind of in there with the empathy. They can get jealous easily. And it's not necessarily relationship jealous. Um, they may not be jealous if they're dating someone worried about another person because nobody else is as good as them. But they could be jealous about time. They could be jealous about talent. They could be jealous about material things or the appearance of somebody else looking better. So it's an interesting thing. They may brag a lot, um, insist on having, as I talked about, the best. The fantasies about success are, are a big thing to, to pay attention to. If you've got that person, it's always they're getting ready to make that million dollars every week. <laughs> this, if this one thing happens, that's going to send us to the moon. That's going to be it. They secretly, though, feel insecure. Like I said, I did have uh, um, somebody who is a therapist say that insecurity will breed narcissism. So if you're dealing with somebody where you see a lot of insecurity, that can breed that narcissism because that person is always trying to build themselves up or trying to be around somebody else who will build them up. Um, difficulty accepting that other people could be more successful. And, and that other big one is just difficulty with relationships, period. Just difficulty with relationships, period. So I hope, has this been helpful? 
And I want to hear from somebody if you heard something that you were like, holy mackerel, I could put a face with some of this right here. <laughs> uh, when we're talking about narcissistic traits versus a narcissistic personality disorder. So hopefully if you're listening to this on, on live stream or you catch this on my YouTube channel, hopefully this has been really helpful because I really want, excuse me, when I'm working with working with clients and one of the things that I'm learning um, from a program that I'm going through right now, we really focus on helping people who have been through traumatic relationships or maybe are trying to get out of one, not spend a lot of time labeling their partner. So even if you think they are narcissistic or even if they've been if they've been diagnosed then you know you don't even have to think about it anymore but if you're looking at these traits and and we have someone that keeps saying oh well I was dealing with a narcissist so it was really difficult my goal is to get them to recognize that and then move away from worrying about that label because continuing to remind yourself that you were with a narcissist and looking at all the reasons that it made your life a living hell it can sometimes keep you from being able to move forward away from that person, away from that behavior, those behaviors. And so I really want wanted to be able to do this series so that people understand what it actually is. And there is a difference between somebody that has traits, because again, every one of us has narcissistic traits. The hope is they're not to the point where they're a problem for the people who are trying to live with us or problems for ourselves. So we all have the traits, but we do want to be able to look at those symptoms or those, those traits that could tip over into a disorder so that you understand what you're dealing with, because clarity is empowering. And if you can understand what you've been dealing with and get clear about that, you can start making the plans that you need to make to move away from it and to figure out what you need to do to create boundaries so that you can deal with it for whatever time you're going to have to deal with it. So I'm just looking here to see that I see anybody pop up here. I don't see anybody popping up here. I see thumbs going up. So I appreciate you for that. And let me look here. Oh, I see somebody is frozen. Are you back on now, mom? Let me see. Okay, you're up. Let me see. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I can. No, I'm on. Okay, no, that was a while back that you were frozen. <laughs> I think I wrote on there okay. Okay, yeah, no, let me see here. I want to make sure I didn't miss somebody else. I just saw that the thing was on here. I see clapping. Hunty, Damali said, Hunty. Yeah, it's it's real. I think I think one of the biggest areas this comes up for with, with people, and I know women that I've talked to, is when we're talking about dating. But same thing for men. I mean, there are a lot of women out here that have, you know, a multitude of these traits. And there are men out here trying to deal with narcissistic women. The percentages are definitely, I think it was 7 point something percent of men and 4.8 or something of women. So women, um, men are, are diagnosed more often than men, but anybody can, can end up with, uh, you know, can have, be diagnosed with a disorder. It's not exclusive for one, one uh, group of people or, or the, the next, but because I work with more women and speak to more women, it's picking up those traits and hearing these behavior patterns and realizing, man, there's there's a lot of this out here that uh, people are at least identifying as being narcissistic. And like I said, my goal is just to make sure that people have a, a, a 
foundational understanding. Again, I'm not a clinician, I'm not a doctor, but I wanted to do a layperson's look at what this actually looks like and make sure that we know that there's a difference between just having a personality trait and actually being diagnosed with a disorder. Um, because I think it's important that we're not running around here pretending we're diagnosing people or that we're talking to people like they've been diagnosed when that's not actually, it actually hasn't happened. So I just want to thank everybody. If nobody else has anything, I appreciate you being here. Um, I have um, I didn't put the link here. Mommy's sneezing. Um, we can still hear you. Um, I didn't put the link up this evening, but I'm going to let you know, and I'll try to remember if I ever, if I do a show moving on, and I don't say this, I'm going to count on one of you to remind me that my book, Divorce is Not a Destination, is now in pre-order on Amazon. So you can actually go to Amazon, look up Divorce is Not a Destination. I'll have my book cover right in front of me right now. Here we go. And you will see the book cover there and you can actually put in your pre-order for divorce is not a destination. So I'm letting everybody know, cause I want to get my, uh, get my pre-sales up. Thank you for being here tonight. Next week will be the second week of talking about narcissism. And next week I'm going to be going over the five types of narcissism. So this is five types of narcissism. Today was the difference between the trait and the disorder. And next week will be five types of narcissism. And uh, the week after that, I believe it's who do narcissists target? Are you a magnet? Are you a magnet? And then week four is how to recover from narcissistic abuse, how to recover from narcissistic abuse. So thank you, everybody, for joining me. And I will see you here next week. Oh, wait a minute. Wanda just popped up here. Wanda, are you there? Yes, I've been trying to do that. I, I, I forgot how. But my question was, so often especially when we were younger, you always hear they're conceited. Or when I'm talking about someone, I say, oh my God, she's so conceited. Or he's so conceited. But a lot of the traits that you mentioned seem to me to be about people that I would just say, you're so conceited. Interesting. That is you know what? the You're difference. Right. That was the word. Th 30 years ago, 40 years yes. ago, I, I didn't hear narcissism. Right. Like, you heard conceit. Yep. So they're, they're so full of themselves. Yes. Yep. So yep. that was so that was before us. That was like your mom or your grandmother would have said that my grandmother mm -hmm. would have said she's just full of herself or conceited. Yeah. You know what? Or conceited. I think that's a, think that's a good, um, a good observation. Because I do think that a lot of these things would have been what we would have called conceit. They're just conceited. They're, yeah. they're all, all, a lot of these traits. So when every everything is about them. Exactly. So when I'm looking and I'm looking at someone and I'm saying conceited, I need to be looking at these nine traits and going, okay, there's a problem. Because if you're conceited, you don't necessarily think about therapy. Well, if you're narcissistic, you probably won't think about therapy either. <laughs> no, but I mean, for the person, if oh, they're no. conceited or it's full of themselves, you don't think about therapy. You just kind of mm -hmm. blow them off because they're yep. conceited. Yep. You, they're conceited. You go, oh, man, they're kind of arrogant. Da, da, da. Yeah. But and, and so it's the culmination of these things. And it's the severity. You know, it's the severity. So it's like when I, I think before you got on, I was talking about that narcissism, when it's just the, when it's the trait, just the trait, when it's a trait, right. it's still on a spectrum. 
So it goes from healthy narcissism, which is what all of us want to have, all the right. way through to this pathological narcissism. And at that point, it's still not a disorder yet. So wow. you could just you could be at the severe end of narcissistic traits and just be like frighteningly horrifying to deal with in a relationship and you still haven't been diagnosed as a disorder and might not be. But I, like I said, it's, it's just, but this is, this is, a, that is interesting. It would, it'll be interesting now if I can find, you know, what was the language? Is this 10, 15, 30 years ago were scientists using, you know, when did they start using the term narcissism? But for lay people, mm-hmm. we just not know enough to identify or say it might be narcissism. And we just said, oh, they're just conceited. They, they're just yep. themselves. So again, that might be one of the traits that would fit into narcissism. It's mm. one of the identifiers. I have to look at okay. the definition. Have yeah. to look at the actual definition of conceit now, conceitedness. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. That was my question I kept saying. Gosh. Interesting. Thank you for yeah. that one. You're welcome. Tell tell Will we said hello. And I certainly I'll will. See everybody here next week. Okay. All right. Bye, okay. gang. Thank you for listening to Divorce Is Not A Destination. Please recommend the show to friends and family. You can join my live audience and see upcoming shows by registering for access at firesidechat.com forward slash Lisa Summer Hour. Connect with me on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Divorce Is Not A Destination. And catch replays here on Fireside, my YouTube channel, or your favorite streaming service. Until next time, remember, I'm here to help you get unstuck gain confidence and thrive beyond your breakup or divorce because divorce is not a destination.